You know, this world is a difficult place to live. There are things that come at you all the time that are trying to distract you, enrage you, depress you, make you worry. The easiest thing to do is to live a reactionary life, to put no real thought into how you will respond to adversity and hardship and just whatever happens, happens. And if I'm poked, whatever comes out is what's going to come out. And if you're like me at this point in your life, you've probably figured out that your first reaction is not really your best reaction. And God has given us, though, a different way to live. And Paul is trying to teach these people in Corinth that way. Instead of living a reactionary life by the power of our emotions and our whims and our passions, we can instead respond with the gospel. See, the gospel tells us when divisions come to respond with unity and when sexual temptations come to respond with purity and holiness by the power of the cross. When disagreements over secondary things come to put your brother's preferences before your own. And when we wonder about where we fit in the church to remember that we are the body. And not to go off into our own direction, but find where you fit into the body and do your job. So today we're going to be at the very end of 1 Corinthians. If you turn in your Bibles to chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians. The last problem that Paul addresses is the issue of Jesus' resurrection and the future resurrection of the followers of Jesus. So what is a resurrection, though? In medical terms, it could be called Lazarus syndrome. Lazarus syndrome is also known as autoresuscitation after failed cardiopulmonary resuscitation. It's this spontaneous return of normal cardiac rhythm after failed attempts at resuscitation. In other words, the spontaneous return of heart activity after pronounced dead. According to ABC News, the longest case uh, known of Lazarus syndrome on record is Velma Thomas, 59, of Nitro, West Virginia. She holds the record for recovering from clinical death. In May 2008, Thomas went into cardiac arrest at her home. Medics were unable to establish a a real good pulse. They had a very faint pulse after eight minutes of CPR. Her heart stopped twice after arriving at the hospital, and she was placed on a ventilator. Doctors attempted to lower her body temperature to prevent additional brain injury. And she was then declared clinically dead for 17 hours after the doctors failed to detect brain activity. The ventilator uh, was all she had left. And her son, Tim Thomas, stated that her skin had already hardened, and her hands and toes were curling up, and they were already drawn. And then when she was taken off life support and funeral arrangements were uh, in progress, 10 minutes after she was taken off the ventilator, her heart began to pump again, and she revived, and she recovered. That's an amazing story to think about. No brain activity, no real heart function. But it's not quite the same as no blood flow, no oxygen, no heartbeat, no brain activity for three days and then walking out of the tomb. 
See, we believe in the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ because hundreds of people saw Jesus alive in a physical body after being publicly executed by the Romans. And Paul tells these people, many of which who would have been alive 20 years earlier when Christ rose from the dead, he tells them the story all over again in chapter 15. And we'll start in verse 3. Paul says, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according with the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with Scriptures. And that he appeared to Cephas, that's another name for Peter, and then to the twelve disciples, And then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, which was Jesus' brother, and then to all the apostles. And then Paul says, last of all, as one untimely born, he appeared also to me, for I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the, uh, the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace towards me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them. Though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach and so you believed. See, don't forget what this community called the church is founded on. Without the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, we have nothing The church starts and ends with the gospel that Jesus, God in the flesh, died for our sins. And that wasn't a fake death. No, Jesus was dead, dead. And the Romans, uh, the guards verified that. And then he was buried in a borrowed tomb. But then he rose himself up from the grave. And he was seen by hundreds of people. And Paul says, most of those hundreds of people are still alive today. Paul is saying, look, you can go talk to them if you want to. They saw Jesus. And then after Jesus' ascension, Paul says, years later, Jesus appeared to me on the road to Damascus. And I was headed to persecute Christians. But he knocked me off my donkey and I was saved. Then Paul says, I came and preached the same gospel to you. And that same grace that God showed me, Paul says he wants to show each and every person in the entire world. Tony Evans says that the, res- uh, the resurrection is the receipt that God accepted Christ's payment for your sin and for mine. But even after all that proof and all that they had seen, all the proof of their changed lives, there were still some in the church of Corinth that doubted the importance or the validity of the resurrection. Don't take for granted that everybody that goes to your church and attends your church is a Christian. People sit among us for years and think that their good works save them or that their church membership or baptism is what they hold on for their salvation. Yes, those things are good, but you can't put the cart before the horse. Your relationship with Christ starts with a moment, an encounter, when you understood that you couldn't save yourself. So instead, you put your faith in Jesus Christ and decide to follow him. Now, many times this is with a prayer of repentance, but it always is a decision in a moment. 
I was eight years old when I made that choice to be a follower of Jesus. I had understood after growing up in church that I was a sinner and that I needed Jesus to save me from the penalty of my sin. And I wanted to follow him with my life. And that's the moment when it became personal and I owned it. And now I struggled at what that meant. Getting saved at a young age is not always the easiest thing to do. And I worried through my teen years whether I got that all right and whether I understood everything. But then when I was 18, I settled that doubt once and for all. And I understood that I did make that choice as a child. And I decided to take the first step of obedience as a Jesus follower and made a public profession of faith that we call baptism. That's my story. And it's long and it's winding and it's sometimes messy and it's not perfect. But salvation always starts with an encounter with Jesus. An understanding of the need for a savior. An understanding that our sin needs forgiven. You can't skip that part. That's where your faith story begins. And over my 14 years of working in church ministry, I've been surprised over and over the people that have attended church for years, but they have no real understanding of salvation. And that's heartbreaking. This relationship with Jesus that we call salvation comes in three parts. First is justification. And this happens in that moment, that encounter, when you first realize that you're a sinner and you put your faith in Jesus as your savior. I was eight years old at Landmark Baptist Church when that happened. My debt was paid and I was declared innocent. And that's the first step of salvation, justification. That happens in a moment. But the next step of salvation is sanctification. And this is the process of slowly and systematically choosing to follow Jesus in every area of our life daily. Sanctification is letting God clean things up and obeying him in that process. And this lasts our whole life. We'll never be done being sanctified. And then lastly, the third part of salvation is glorification. This will happen one day when God makes us completely new and we won't ever sin, no tears, no pain, no death. Justification starts in a moment and sanctification lasts our whole entire life and one day we will be glorified once and for all. So if you're a genuine follower of Jesus, then salvation has happened, is happening, and will happen to us. For Nicodemus, it started with, you must be born again. For Peter, it started with, follow me. And it may be different, but it always starts with a moment, an encounter, we can't take for granted that everyone who calls themselves a Christian understands all these things. And the church in Corinth had a big understa- uh, misunderstanding about this central doctrine of the resurrection. Paul goes on in verse 12. He says, now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how come some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has been not raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. Paul says this is a big deal. Perhaps these people in Corinth thought Jesus' resurrection was just his spirit and not his body. Regardless, Paul is clear that a bodily resurrection of Jesus is essential to the gospel. He says if Christ be not raised, then preaching and your church and your salvation, it's all in vain. And if Christ couldn't raise himself, how could 
he raised you one day. If Christ is not resurrected and seen of the apostles and touched by Thomas, then they're all liars. See, the gospel isn't good news if the story ends with Christ, the hero, being dead. No, his death paid for our sin. And then God put his stamp of approval on it by raising Christ from the dead. But if death won, then the grave still does sting. And the tomb still does have the victory. Paul spells this out clearly in the book of Acts as he quotes this, the Old Testament prophecies about Jesus twice in this passage. In Acts 13, 32, it'll be up here on the screen. He says, and we bring you the good news that what Christ promised to the fathers, this he has fulfilled to us, their children, by raising Jesus. As also it is written in the second Psalm, you are my son, today I have begotten you. And as for the fact that he raised him from the dead, no more to return to corruption. He has spoken in this way. I will give you the, uh, the holy and sure blessings of David. Therefore, he also says in another psalm, you will not let your holy one see corruption. For David, after he served, the purpose of God in his own generation fell asleep and was laid with his fathers and saw corruption. But he whom God raised up did not see corruption corruption. What is Paul saying here? He's saying, look, you remember King David, right? David and Goliath. He died and he was buried in the ground and his body decayed. But Christ's body would not see decay. He would raise bodily from the grave. And this is important because we see the sin and death that Adam brought into the world was reversed by Christ. Christ reversed the curse. 1 Corinthians 15, 21 goes on. For as by a man, we're talking about Adam here, by a man came death, and by a man, talking about Jesus, come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. We have this opportunity to accept Jesus Christ as our Savior because of what Jesus did on the cross when he reversed the curse of Adam, of sin and death and pain being brought into the world. Jesus brought everything back that was lost in the garden. Salvation is here and will be completed at the second coming of Christ. And Paul tells us that if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, then all this was meaningless. The resurrection is essential to the gospel. Tim Mackey says, in light of this whole entire letter that Paul wrote to uh, the the people of Corinth, he says the resurrection was Jesus' ultimate victory over sin and death. The resurrection is a source of life and power for us. And it's a promise of future hope for the whole world. Because of the resurrection, we have a reason to be unified around Jesus. Motivation for sexual integrity. It's the source of power for loving other people more than ourselves. And ultimately, it is our hope for victory over death. He's saying here, he's saying all this book is tied together by the resurrection. The rejecting of division and pursuing unity. The pursuing of purity and putting other people's needs before our own. The resurrection wraps all these things up because we have hope in a Savior that conquered death. 1 Corinthians 15, 26. I love this part. It says, the last enemy to be destroyed is death. 
that death that's taken your loved ones, that death that has caused so much pain, Jesus Christ will defeat it once and for all. For God has put all these things in subjection under his feet. But when it says all things are put in subjection, it is plain that he is accepted who put all things in subjection under him. The resurrection shows off God's power over all things. Death is dead. Jesus beat it. So when you're in over your head, remember all things are under his feet. God has got you this morning. If he can defeat death, he can defeat your financial issues, your relational issues, whatever's going on in your life. He has the power this morning. But what will life be like when we're resurrected once and for all from this body of death? Verse 42 says, So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable, but what is raised is imperishable. It's sown in dishonor, it's raised in glory. It's sown in weakness, it's raised in power. It's sown a natural body, it's raised a spiritual body. If there's a natural body, there's also a spiritual body. Paul is drawing this illustration. He says, just like seeds are planted in the ground and they have this transformation when they go into the the ground, a, a believer's body will be transformed as well. No longer bound by the curse of sin and death and pain. And the Bible tells us when we see him, we will be like him. Verse 51 says, behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. We shall all be changed in a moment. In a twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. And when the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your, na- uh, your labor is not in vain. These are mysterious things. When we think of these things, we don't have all the answers right now in the present, uh, but we know that the way things are right now will not always be, and the way we are right now will not always be. Either when our life is over or Jesus comes back again, we will be changed in the twinkling of an eye, and death, disease, and war, and pain, and sin, and guilt, and shame will all be things in the past. Death doesn't get the last laugh. Jesus defeated death. Death has no sting. Death has no power. We have the victory through Jesus. And because we have the victory in Jesus, you should act like it. You should have confidence and stand firm and fight the good fight of faith, trusting that working for God's kingdom is never in vain. And when you get discouraged, remember that how things are right now is not how things will always be. And when the world looks so dark, don't worry, the light is coming. 
There will be a glorious new morning. And the darker the night gets, the closer the morning is. This is how the gospel responds to the fear of death. We have the victory through Jesus Christ. So have hope this morning. And don't get all distracted and get caught up in the problems of this world. Yes, help hurting people, but don't lose hope that things will ever change. And when you've reached out before, don't lose hope that it will work the next time and that God will do something great the next time. Sometimes we do that, right? We get discouraged when, well, I tried this one time and I, I told someone about Jesus or I prayed with somebody and, and man, they, it just didn't work out, so I give up. Have hope. Have hope that that next time God's going to do that big thing. Jesus will make all things new one day. The resurrection was Jesus' ultimate victory over sin and death. The resurrection is a source of life and power for us, and it's a promise of a future hope for a whole world. And we need to look at every part of our lives through this lens of the gospel. Because there's hope for the next life, there's hope for you right now. And even when your sin looks too big and your uh, habits and your addiction and your problems look like you can never beat them, Christ already beat them. You have the victory through Jesus Christ. Rely on him. Let him fight the fight and just surrender to him. Unity, purity, genuine relationship. Loving and serving one another, hope for resurrection can all be found in the message of the gospel. So Christians, stand firm. Don't waver. Don't lose your passion. Don't get paralyzed by fear about what's going to happen tomorrow. All this temporary stuff will pass away one day. Live for the next life. Live for the life that lasts longer. So what do you do when you face a problem? The challenge that Paul gives this church in Corinth is respond with the gospel. Don't respond with your emotions. Don't respond with your personality. Don't respond with uh, your past experiences. Respond with the hope that is found in the gospel that one day God will make all things new. And until then, I'm going to work to bring his kingdom And to work out his will in this world, respond with the gospel. Bow your heads bowed and eyes closed. The band comes. I don't know what's got you discouraged today. I don't know where uh, in your life. You've given up. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's a, a dream. Maybe it's an opportunity you think will never come. And you feel like it's God's will and you, you've prayed about it. Don't lose hope. I'm not saying all your dreams will come true. But I am saying that what God's will for you is, is He will fulfill it. You just stay close to the Savior today. And you tell God, whatever you want me to do, I'll do. Wherever you want me to go, I'll go. I trust you. 
because you have the victory. The Bible says that we are more than conquerors because of Jesus Christ. Don't live the defeated life. Don't live a life full of discouragement and doubt. That is not God's will for your life. The Bible tells us the joy of the Lord is our strength, and God wants to give you that joy. Those fruits of the Spirit come when we stick close to the Savior and the source of our life. Maybe you're here today and you're not sure that you're a Christian. You're not sure that you're a follower of Jesus. Maybe you've you know, come to church or you're open to the idea of God and, and all those things, and that's, that's awesome. But a real relationship starts with an encounter, a meeting. And a relationship with Jesus starts with a moment where you understand your need for a Savior. And you accept that gift that Jesus gave you. And you put your faith in Jesus as the only means of your salvation. Asking forgiveness for the sins that you've committed against the Holy God. It's not the same for everybody. If it was, that'd be pretty boring and unlike a God that created an infinitely beautiful and creative world. But it always starts in a moment. And you can have that moment this morning, today, once and for all, where you put your faith in what Jesus did on the cross. The Bible says the wages of our sin is death. What we earn and what we deserve for our sin is a separation from God in a place called hell. That's a scary thing. And you might say, well, I'm not that bad. Well, the Bible tells us that we all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We like to compare ourselves to other people, but we have hurt people. We have broken God's laws. We've thought wicked thoughts, and we've said wicked things, and we've all fallen short. We're all in the same boat, and it is sinking. But Romans 5.8 says that God commended his love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. See, he saw us needing a rescue, and God himself got off the, uh, the throne of heaven and was born of a virgin. And he lived a perfect and a holy life. And then he laid down his life on a cross for you. And he took on all your sin and all the punishment that you deserved. And he paid for it. And the Bible says he gifts us his righteousness when we accept that gift. You can be declared innocent once and for all, no longer feeling that guilt and shame of your sin. The Bible says the way you do that is you call upon the name of the Lord and you shall be saved. You need to understand your need for a Savior. You understand that you're a sinner. Put your faith in Jesus as the only means of that salvation. And call out to him with your heart and with your life. A decision to follow him. Everybody's uh, life experience with this thing called salvation is different. But you can settle it today once and for all. The words aren't magic words, but you can call out to something like this. Dear Jesus, 
I know I'm a sinner. And I know because of my sin that I deserve hell. God, I've sinned against you. Please forgive me. I'm turning from my sin and all that I held on to. And I'm putting my faith in you and you alone. Please save me. If that's you today, I'd love to to know you've made this big decision. If you write that on your connection card and say, I chose Jesus. It's not a prayer you pray every day, although you might, you know, tell God every day that you, uh, you know, want to follow him with your life. This is where the relationship starts. It's calling out to God once and for all, rejecting your sin and putting your faith in Christ and what he did on the cross. If that's you today, write that on your connection card, or maybe uh, you're online, you hit my uh, profile, Phil Wayman, and I commented down there in the bottom, and, and just shoot me a message and say, hey, I chose Jesus today. I'd love to follow up with what's next. This is the biggest thing you could ever do. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, we love you. God, I pray for anyone here today that does not know that they would make that choice once and for all in your own beautiful way that you want them to do. God, I pray for those of us that have gotten discouraged, those of us that have lost hope, God, those of us that look at the future and we don't understand how we could possibly go another day. God, I pray you help us to remember that we have the victory through you. And because of your resurrection, we don't have to worry. That you've got the power over everything, death, sin, nature. And although our life might not be easy, you're going to walk with us through it. Lord, as we Stand and sing, God, I pray you help us to worship you with our whole life in this moment. Put out every fear and every doubt and help us to lift up your name higher than anything else. In your name we pray, amen.